Podcasting from Astrolab Studios, this is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows that have faded from the collective consciousness and didn't quite make the impact that they intended. This week, Space, Above and Beyond, Episodes 4 and 5. Hawks, I want you to go work with Keats. I want one of us on damage control. Keats is one of us. He's a civilian. We're Marines. And Hawks... Forget the in vitro manifest. The 58th is your family. Looking for a past you never lived can only get you hurt. Feeling pain's part of being human. Who said you're human? Welcome to Continuing Drag, the podcast that is finally back in studio. I'm your host, Luke, here with Jordan. It's good to be back, buddy. Yeah, it's weird. We're actually in the same room. It seems like it's been uh, weeks, which it has been. Yeah, five of them. How's your summer vacation? Oh, not long enough. You know, back to the grind as it is. Back from the farm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. How are the goats? <laughs> yeah, they're fine. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into uh, this week's episodes, I think you've got a little something for us, Jordan. Yeah, I just, uh, uh, something we had done before, which is look at some of the talent behind uh, the show. So I thought we'd come and uh, take a little time to look at the creators and writers of the show. Sounds good to me. There's a lot of people that worked on the show, especially in terms of the writers. Uh, So what I'll do is I'll go through them, but I'm only going to mention credits that either are interesting or that I find amusing. So I'll go through them. So the creators of the show are Glenn Morgan and James Wong. And they're listed as not only the creators, but writers on all 23 episodes. I don't think they actually wrote 23 episodes, but you know. They are, they are the creators. And I, I'm aware of them. I, I know their work, actually. Well, that's the thing. So um, they both wrote together for a long time. It doesn't seem like they're writing together anymore. But for a long time, they wrote for things like the first thing really that came out was the Kamish. Remember the Kamish? I, I have some vague inkling in the back of my head, but I, I think I'm thinking of Coach. Yeah, yeah. It's not the same show. But uh, they did work on a whole bunch of Chris Carter shows. X-Files, Millennium, Lone Gunman, although I should mention, not Harsh Realm. So they worked on some of the better Chris Carter shows, I think. They wrote. Uh, they usually wrote the best episodes of those shows. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what the X-Files one was. It's uh, Jose Something's Outer Space, the episode where um, Alec... Well, not Alec Guinness, uh, the host of Jeopardy. Alec Trebek shows up, and he's one of the men in black. Oh, I don't remember. It's like the best X-Files episode. Hmm. I, okay. I don't remember. You you prefer Fluke Man. I do like Fluke Man. And then they wrote an episode of Millennium where five demons in human disguises go and have donuts at a donut shop and just complain about how hard their jobs are. Hmm. It's a very good episode as well. They uh, They tended to write weirder funnier episodes as my memory i could be betraying me but i'm pretty sure that was them well anyway now glenn morgan is working on the new x files unfortunately and also the tv show lore who a lot of these writers seem to be working on which i think is an anthology show yeah it's a podcast anyways it's a tv show now too and james wong has been working on scream queens and american horror story do you know what i like that they did the best what's that the final destination series Oh, did they both do that too? Yeah, they created the original Final Destination movie, and I think either one or both directed one and three of the series. 
you know what I like that I prepared the segment, but you're clearly more prepared than I am. Well, it's funny. Uh, last week at work, I just sat down and watched all five trailers for no reason. Really? Yeah. There's five Final Destinations. We were talking at work about uh, when's this franchise coming back? I thought there would be more. It's like the Saw franchise. They just like seem like they never stopped. Fun fact about Final Destination 1, mm-hmm. Vanson's in it. Oh, is that right? She's one of the stars. She plays a teacher who survives the plane crash. Well, I, I've got a couple little fun facts about some of the cast real quick, but let me go through the writers really fast here. So there is a writing team of Matt, I might pronounce some of these names wrong, but Matt Keen and Joe Reinkenmeyer. They wrote a bunch of stuff after this, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Andromeda, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show was the one I liked. And they wrote a bunch of the episodes of that. And who even remembers that was a TV show? Oh, I do, because it was shot in my home province. Really? Yeah. Was it any good? Uh, Probably not. I mean. Probably not. We'll get to it. Yeah. We'll get to it. Yeah, eventually. Another writer was named Marilyn Osborne. She's also writing lore, but uh, she went on to also wrote Touched by an Angel and the following. And you know that the characters of uh, Justice League America love Touched by an Angel because they mentioned that in the show. That was one of their favorites. That was one of their favorites. We have Richard Whiteley, who uh, before this wrote Roseanne and Roswell, and uh, his last credit is Pound Puppies. Oh. So I don't know if that career is going, the trajectory is up or down. I think probably down. Is Pound Puppies new or like the old cartoon? It's the new Pound Puppies. Oh, there's a new Pound yeah. Puppies. Yeah. Everything's old is new again, you know? Wonderful. Doc Johnson, real name. Uh, here's the weird thing about this person. Only has one credit, and it's an episode of Space Above and Beyond. It's episode nine, Choice or Chance. So we'll have to watch that and see. Literally, this guy has no other credits. Nothing. Just this one episode. So I'm assuming he's someone's kid or nephew or... Um, what was the name again? Doc Johnson. It's It's got to be not a real name. Either. Yeah, that's got to be a, a... pseudonym. A pseudonym, absolutely. Anyways, episode nine. We'll have to remember that. Uh, another writer named Peyton Webb. She only has a few credits. I think there's three. But the one I like is a Kojak TV movie called Flowers for Maddie. Ooh. Yeah. I don't, for all your Kojak fans out there. Howard Grigsby, Grigsby, excuse me, mostly now works as a producer, but wrote things like Veronica Mars, Good Girls Castle, but more importantly, was a writer on Baywatch. This is pretty good. Mm. Jewel Selbo has a lot of really weird shows like Young Indiana Jones Chronicles and Melrose Place. Also wrote for Pound Puppies. Wow, the show really got a lot of Pound Puppies. Yeah, that's where, that's where all the writers go. And finally... Uh, my favorite is a man named Steven Zito or Zito. So he has some show credits of things you've heard of before, like Lonesome Dove and Jag. But he also went on a very weird streak of just writing trashy British TV movies like Diana, Her True Story, and Fergie and Andrew, Behind the Palace Doors. Another one was called Glitz. was a movie he wrote. He did another one called Full Exposure, The Sex Tape Scandal. I don't know what that is. I think it speaks for itself. And my personal favorite of all the credits I saw of all the writers was a movie he wrote called Lady Mobster. Ooh, Lady Mobster. Yeah, doesn't that just make you want to buy your ticket, get the popcorn, line up? Ladies can do anything, Jordan. Yeah, they can be mobsters. mobsters. (laughs) They can be mobsters if they want. (laughs) Anyways, and that's, uh, that's basically the writers on this show. So a real odd collection of people. I think the sense I got is that Morgan and Wong really had a... Uh, pretty heavy hand in all these episodes. Oh, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, uh, I guess it speaks to what we've seen so far, too. It seems to have like a clear showrunner's hand on the tiller, not like Tech War. So far, it's been much more consistent than a show like that. 
And so real quick, I'm just going to mention one other thing. And this is not really a segment. It's more of a fun fact, you know. <laughs> I know that's funny to me. Anyways, three of the characters were named after, I guess, real people characters um, for whatever reason. I haven't found that information yet, and it's not like I've done a ton of research. But just a fun little thing to play along while you're watching the show. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel McQueen is named after Steve McQueen. Makes sense. Cooper Hawks is named after Gary Cooper. Oh, sure. Strong silent type, you know? Yeah. Shane Vanson is named after the character Shane from the old Western Shane. Oh. And the creator's assistant was named Lise Vanson. So they put it together. So Shane Vanson. And other fun fact, she married Glenn Morgan. The assistant? No, uh, the actress who played uh, Shane Vanson. Oh, that's why she must be in all his uh, work. Yeah. She uh, married him, still married. They have four kids. What I want to know is where's that assistant now? Oh, yeah, I didn't look up their credits. I'm assuming uh, not not much. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? Wait, maybe I don't know. Maybe they're, maybe they're a real powerhouse in Hollywood. Yeah, they run Netflix now. Exactly. Who you knows? don't know what Lise, Lise Vanson's doing? It's not Lisa. Don't call her Lisa. It's, it's just Lise. L-I-S? L-I-S-E. Oh. Maybe it's Lice. No, it can't be. Lice. Lice. It's Lice. Lice Vanson. Great, Jordan. Thanks. That was, uh, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know. Some good, some good stuff about some of those good writers. Some having better careers than others but yeah as, as is the way it goes yeah all right should we get into it let's do it all right episode four mutiny in a suspenseful episode the members of the 58th are struggling against an unknown enemy in a treacherous region of space with a damaged spaceship hawks discovers that the ship they are traveling on is taking a shipment of unaware tanked in vitros to the front and he and McQueen struggle with orders when it becomes clear the in vitros are expendable. That synopsis was courtesy of Derek Hickey on IMDb. That took a long time. What I liked, though, was um, the little uh, editorializing of it's suspenseful. Don't yeah. tell me what's suspenseful or not. I'll tell you. Listen, Derek Hickey wants you to know suspense is coming your way. All right. Well, thanks, Derek. Yeah. Do you like that? I'm going to start crediting the synopsis. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Why not? Someone took a lot of time to write that, and I yeah. think they deserve some credit. Do you think that's weird, though, that people take a time? I always think when you go on a website like IMDb and you write very long reviews, it's like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Hey, they've got things to say, and they I need guess. an outlet for it. All right. I think it's a real big waste of time. I think you took a wrong turn somewhere is what I think. Says the guys talking about the same show <laughs> on a podcast. I did not see the irony when I said it, but touche, my friend. <laughs> Well, this episode opens on a big firefight that's happening at uh, what the what the super said in the episode, uh, the Langston Forward Firebase at Groombridge 34. Yeah, I wrote that. My note was Groombridge. Where are we? I actually Googled it, and it is a star somewhere in the galaxy that was discovered by a astrologist named Groombridge. I think. Hmm. Fun fact: in 2014, they uh, got evidence that it has an exoplanet. What's an exoplanet? It's like if a planet is around a sun, it's like not in our uh, solar system. It's mm -hmm. called an exoplanet. Like they've proven there's a planet circling that sun. Oh. Because you can't actually see them on a telescope. You kind of like, I guess you right. catch shadows or something. So uh, this show predicted that exoplanet, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Why not? I'll give it to them. Yeah. They got canceled. Give them something. There you go. We're uh, immediately introduced to a brand new member of the Wild Cards. Yeah, some chubby guy. A chubby guy who says something about just wanting to get something to eat. Yeah, his name's Monk, right? I, I missed it. I uh, think it's Monk. All I kind of caught when he started came on, he's like, he was hungry or something. 
you know he's hungry because he's chubby, and chubby people are always hungry. Scientifically proven. He, and this is not a slight against anyone with different weights, he just seemed out of place amongst the rest of the Marines in this battle. I agree. You know, it didn't make any sense. One, you knew he's going to die, because suddenly this big out-of-shape guy comes in and he's like, anybody got donuts? He never actually says that, but that's essentially his character, and it's like, well, he's just here to get his uh, old liposuction done by the jigs. Laser styles. <laughs> it was worth it. You got there, and Thanks. it was worth it. I know. I was a little stumbling, but I knew I'd get it. I, I knew I'd get there eventually. And as promised, he is immediately fatally shot. Yeah. And Hawks bends over and holds his hand as he dies, and he kind of tells Hawks all about his wife back home. I it felt like he made Hawks promise to talk to his wife. Hawks does not follow through with that promise yeah, he, at all. He, he wouldn't be my first choice. But uh, as was predicted last week, it's very clear that this starts off and uh, episode four is going to be a Hawks-centric episode. Yeah, I like that. I was excited that we had talked about, I think previously, that we weren't sure how often they were going to go back to West. And I was pleased that both these episodes that we're going to be talking about are not West episodes. Yeah. And sort of this kickoff as he's hearing this man talk about his wife, and you sort of see Hawks like listening to him talk about how wonderful it was. This the theme of this whole episode is really going to be about relationships, not necessarily romantic ones, but the idea of like human relationships. To that end, actually, there's a couple like minor B plots that I'll just talk about now because they're about relationships. As we see Damp House, she's gotten a letter from her boyfriend back home telling her all about uh, her boyfriend has a daughter. It's not her daughter, I don't think, but like he has a daughter and they've gone to Disneyland and had fun at Toad's Wild Ride. And the letter signs off with uh, Damp House, you're still my favorite wild ride. I have zero memory of this plot line. I have zero memory of it. It's a really brief scene where she's just reading this letter out loud to West for some reason. Oh, I do remember. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I just thought it was funny because he signs off like to with this real winking nudge about how Vanson's a real wild ride. And I'm like, why are you reading that out loud to West? <laughs> Maybe she just figures like he's such a... Eunuch? Yeah, exactly. That It doesn't matter. Although, I'm excited to learn that Vanson's a freak in the sack. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's not Vanson. It's Damp House. I keep doing that. Whatever. Either way. You didn't like that at all. Yeah. You prefer all your characters sexless, please. Well, no, I just... I don't know. I think the, the show is hitting its stride a little bit, but they still have some weird things they put in that don't... They're like, they're real swing and a miss every now and then, you know? <laughs> I thought that was fun. Uh, the other the other relationship that kind of happens with a side character is we learned that Wong has kind of started a pen pally long distance relationship with a woman he's met over the space net. And I'll give them this. This really was like online dating. That's what, that's what they're doing here. Yeah. He answered a personal ad. He's met a woman in the core somewhere. They can't actually get together because they're busy doing their war but vanson's all down on it like she's like really down on him like the, the guy that's all he's got going for him is this like online thing so just leave him alone and she's all like just poo-pooing it left right and center yeah she she just does not buy the idea that you could have a long distance relationship at all like she's like constantly talks about how it has to be physical for you to fall in love and at some point she quotes uh i, I had to look it up a yates poem when you are old she like reads recites an entire poem for him and she's like C and I'm like what? <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand how the poem exactly backed up her point. Could you imagine trying to do that in real life? Because people always do that in TV and film, where they've memorized poetry for some reason—Shakespeare, Chaucer, 
Yates or whoever it might be. It's like, if in real life, if someone quoted me, I'd be like, you're such a loser. I don't care you know a poem. Nerd. Knock those glasses off his face, you know? Give him a wedgie. There's your poem now. I mean, you're not wrong. It was very obnoxious when Vanson like, whipped out a whole poem. I was like, what are you doing? You know that she just memorized it and she just wanted to show off her memorization skills. I have a question for you, though. Yeah. Because this whole episode pretty much pairs Vanson and Wong together. Romantic tension? Well, I think they were kind of playing that a little bit. It didn't... I don't know if there's very much chemistry there. It would be more interesting than the what I thought they were setting up originally, which is the love triangle between Hawks, Vanson, and West. Right, right, um, right. But I think... I, I just... I don't know. They sort of hinted at, like... I think maybe more that Wong's a little lonely, and she was just like, eh, eh, eh. It's funny. I thought about that, too. And we actually skipped over that in our pilot episode. But they they really imply that Hawks has the hots for Vanson. In fact, in the pilot, they have a conversation in the middle of the night. And at the end of the conversation, Hawks, like, jumps on her. Yeah. And she, like, pushes him off. And she's just like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. Trying to be friendly. She's like, sticking her tongue down someone's throat isn't being friendly. Like, it was actually a funny scene where she, like, was like, hey, don't be a creep. He's socially awkward, though. It's not his fault. It's not his fault. We, as we'll learn in this episode. He's only six years old. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. That comes up in the yeah. next episode. They say that. Um, but he is very much, that's a big part of this episode, is apparently tanks are kept in vitro status for 18 years before they're kind of like lit out of their tank, their literal tank. So you've theorized this, like all this stuff we've seen about Hawk so far is just like poor socialization. And you're like dead on the money. That, and you know what? They've actually done a pretty good job of it, I think, because it hasn't been – they haven't hit you over the head with it, but there's been scenes where people are joking and he just has a comment that doesn't work or people are saying things and he does things at the wrong time. And it is sort of, sort of like having a kid in the room, but he doesn't have – he has obviously a greater mental capacity and you know physical body, but in a lot of ways he's like a child is what they've been, been hinting at and it's been more explicit in the next two episodes. Yeah, they've seeded it well. Like this kind of reveals all that backstory and – it's been very accurate so far. Like, oh, yeah, all that lines up with what's happening. It was well well put together. Oh, and uh, they mention at one point, I don't know if it's now, but Detroit Disneyland. Is that now when they mention it? Oh, yeah. That they must mentioned, be. They mentioned Detroit Disneyland, and all I could think is, that's got to be the worst Disneyland, right? <laughs> like, there's no way in 2063 uh, Detroit suddenly it, things are going better for them. They got all that empty space now. You just put a Disneyland anywhere. I suppose, yeah. Go on the uh, Ford ride, the Buick ride. <laughs> yeah. But as we mentioned, this is a pretty Hawks-specific episode. So when the plot kicks off, the 58th is loading aboard this uh, space deep space freighter, the SS MacArthur, that is uh, actually kind of a cool ship design. It's like a big, long spaceship with like, um, what would you call them? Shipping containers like shoved into the side of it. All, actually, all the ships have a kind of interesting design in this. There's sort of a mix of a little bit of Star Wars, a little bit of Alien. I don't know about Blade Runner, but kind of a lot of the ships are sort of really long in the front with a lot of, um, I guess, where uh, the guns and stuff are sort of on the top. They actually look a lot like, uh, what do you call the, the ships where planes fly off in like in the oh, water? Oh, carriers. They look like carrier ships, but in space. But yeah, this SS MacArthur is transporting them back to the Saratoga from Groombridge 34. They kind of need a transport to go back. And the only way they can like get them back to Saratoga is via Blood Alley. That's great. I love Blood Alley. What's Blood Alley, Jordan? I don't remember. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, all, the, all the details don't really matter to me. I know that they got to get on this ship. And all I liked about the ship is it's pretty much a ship run by tanks. That's what you got to know. Blood Alley 
is a route that's going to take them very closely between two suns, uh, which has the crew a little anxious because they're worried they're going to get into some like solar flares or some stuff. Their, their LIDAR is not going to work correctly because they have to co- pass so close past these two suns. It's a real dangerous route. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As Jordan mentioned, the ship is run by a human crew but has a big tank contingency on it because it's sort of a private ship and the captain who runs it doesn't have a problem with tanks. So it's kind of a safe place for them to work. It's kind of weird. They, they're a freighter, but they're not really carrying any freight. Primarily, they're carrying fro- cryogenically frozen passengers. Yeah. And then there's a small contingent of like 168 in vitro tanks on their way to a plutonium mine. And other than that, the only other thing they're really carrying that the captain mentions is 64 pounds of black market prime rib. Is that what he said? Yeah, it's it's a private collection of prime rib he's gotten. Do you not remember how he got this black market no, no, tell me. prime rib? He had to trade his 1986 Dan Flouts card for it. <laughs> I don't remember. For some reason, I remember episode five much more than episode four. That's very funny. Uh, I thought you'd be like, oh, football. <laughs> well, they, they, they drop a lot. They say the 49ers in this show a lot, almost as much as, spoiler for next one, pancakes. <laughs> Getting back to those in vitros, Essentially, the core of Hawks' story here is he's very interested in all these uh, newborn in vitros that are in these tanks on the way to the plutonium mine. At some point, he'll get a manifest for there. For uh, Sorry, he'll get a manifest for the tanks that are there and discover that uh, genetically amongst the 168 in that room, he has a, a sister, I guess, that matches his genetics. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't know if I quite understood that for a couple of reasons. So let's say you're the company making these in vitros, right? So you're making essentially people that are just going to be, let's for for lack of a better term, slave labor, or they're going to do uh, jobs that people don't really want to do, and that's what they're going to put these. Yeah, they're like a bunch of Uber drivers, right? So, but why would they even keep a manifest of everyone's genetics? To like the only way you, the only reason you'd want to know that is to see who's literally genetically connected to everyone. But why does anyone even care except for tanks? Yeah, I guess. Do you know what I mean? I guess it just must be part of, like, I guess you'd want to know their strengths and weaknesses. Like, there's pro- there probably a reason, and it might just be barcodes and batch numbers and stuff that sort of fill out that information. Right. But you're right. I, I don't know why they need to know. But, yeah, you're, as comes up in this episode, is apparently this is something that tanks take very seriously. Most of them know their genetic sequence and the batch numbers they came from, so they can kind of, like, keep an eye out for people who are family, for lack of a better term, like people who are kind of similarly genetically combined. Yeah, they never really mentioned if these people meet each other or how that goes or if relationships form, but they do mention that this is clearly a desire of of tanks. Yeah, it's certainly, certainly a big part of this episode. Speaking of their genetic code, one of the tanks on the ship has glasses. Wouldn't that be something you like genetically edit out of a person you're making? That's funny. I didn't notice that. Yeah, that is that is a weird thing. It's like, well, this tank's got really bad eyesight. Eh, it's fine. Whatever. I guess you just you don't you don't put him on. I don't know sightseeing duty. I don't know what duty he would have to. I guess whatever he was designed for was not looking at things. Yeah. Also, big confirmation this episode: McQueen is definitely a tank. Yeah, you know, and that was one thing that I thought was weird because yes, you know he's a tank now, but. They sort of skirted with it a little bit, and then it's suddenly like, yeah, he's a tank, everyone knows. It's like, but did everyone know? Because they never really said it before. But now it's like right out in the open. They really hinted at it before. Yeah, I, I they definitely never came out and said it. So I was excited, happy to learn he was a tank, because that was kind of what was implied. 
I guess it's just one of these things. They're, they're slow burning some of these reveals. They just, they're not like overloading you. There's like, yeah, you probably already thought this, but let me just be explicit. Right. I, I don't know. I was very excited. Though. I'm like, yay, finally. We yeah, know. And, and he's clearly a tank that's done very well because he's in charge of a military, what do you call it, group? Yeah. Organization. Well, and he talks to Hawks a lot in this episode about how the Marines are his family. Like he doesn't worry about finding his tank family. Like he's built his own family. Don't, don't get hung up on these things. As they're going through, what's it called, Jordan? What's your favorite alley called? Blood Alley. Blood Alley. They, of course, immediately suffer some uh, what they assume is a solar flare reaction that damages the nuclear engine reactor in the engine room, which kind of causes them to lose a bit of power. And they're kind of struggling to figure out how to get the engine working back or the reactor back to full capacity. McQueen divvies up sort of tasks. He kind of sends his various 58 squad members around. Like Hawks is assigned to just clean up duty, which I thought was pretty, pretty demeaning. <laughs> Damp House, I guess she has an engineering degree. So she's down with the tanks, kind of trying to get everything back up and running. Banton and Wong, as we stated earlier, are divided off and sent to the laser cannons to kind of just sit there to guard against any uh, Chig attacks. And uh, West is put on LIDAR on the bridge with McQueen. And it, I love this in this episode because McQueen just gives it to him the entire episode. It's great. It's literally like, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't know. He's like, you're an idiot. It's like the whole episode. It was great. Well, that's it. West sets up the LIDAR and the Blood Alley sons are causing interference. But McQueen's like got a gut instinct that this is not related to the sons, but there's some sort of chig nonsense going up going on with this like damage the engine and west keeps whining about how the lidar is not working he's just like well trust your gut and west is like but i can't look at my screen yeah and it's it's it just it's enjoyable for a character who i don't like very much just to get just verbally abused the entire episode i really like that like in fact mcqueen catches him looking at his locket instead of the lidar at some point and he takes the picture of his girlfriend away from her and says like you need to focus on this job you need to be aware of what's going on it kind of like really lays down the law for him yeah in fact i think it's at this point that because west is still like not really paying attention to what mcqueen's trying to get through his head mcqueen has him recite the specs of uh u378 it's a i guess a style of chig ship that they're they've thing they've sort of found or i don't know how they catalog these things i yeah. don't understand the military jordan what what it is is he has west start giving the either the very uh specific design and attack structure of this ship and what they find is it's very similar they, they it, the ship attacks in a very not subtle way but a uh, very roundabout sort of way it's sort of like you know uh, making sure that the ship is sort of malfunctioning and can't really defend itself very well before they attack. And what they what they sort of realized or West realizes is that the solar flares or whatever they were worried about is probably not what's attacking them, but it's actually this ship that's just slowly you know picking away at them until they are defenseless. Yeah, what West lists off is one of his capabilities: microwave technology that will disrupt a reactor in a ship. So that is kind of what wises West up to. Oh yeah. This is what McQueen's trying to tell me. It's just like, use your brain. Do you think it's weird, though, that clearly McQueen knew this for a, a while? Yeah. Oh, he's just trying to get West to, like, say yeah. it. You know, he also could have just been like, just save the day earlier. I guess. But he put people on the laser cannon. It's not yeah. like he left them on. He knew what was kind of going on. As I always say, you got to put people on the laser cannon. you got to put them there. This happened at the end of the episode, but it's fine because I'm just going to wash away this whole West B plot right now anyway. 
But at the end of the episode, West actually apologizes to McQueen for going AWOL two episodes ago and like trying to find his girlfriend and actually promises not to do that again, like promises to be a better soldier. And I was like, I never thought we were going to come back to that. But there's some progress with West's character. I I like I agree. I actually feel I almost regret how much I hated him the first couple episodes because I feel now and maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I feel like he was almost purposely written to be so annoying so that he could have this character development because he clearly in this episode does have a some sort of breakthrough where he realizes oh yeah i've been a jerk this entire time and i'm gonna smarten up and and he does and i'll be honest this episode he's not very annoying well i love that he gets yelled at but the next episode he's not annoying and the first three i just every time he's on the screen i was like Ugh, get me a noose no it's true i mean he felt so much like some of the heroes we've seen in those other shows that like are annoying and just kind of like we're expected to ignore their arrogance and ignorance because they're our hero but no he's being held accountable for those qualities and being forced to like reckon with them yeah so here's hoping for the rest of the series he becomes more and more of an interesting character and less of a just whiny look at his locket where's my girlfriend character yeah for sure anyway i'll get back to hawks's story now because this reactor has been damaged and the freighter doesn't have full power they're they're Captain basically needs to make a decision if they're going to fight this Chig ship. Like, they need to do something to reroute power. And they really the only option is turning off a segment of the ship. And the ship has cryogenical passengers and this compartment of Chigs. And, like, the only way to really, for the people on the ship to survive is for them to turn off the in vitro section, killing these tanks that are not born yet. But it's not because he hates tanks. It's just it's like the lowest casualty rate. Like it's kind of his only choice for the captain, like the way to do this for the least damage, basically. Anyway, Hawks, obviously having a sister in there and kind of trying to find a connection is very upset by that. He kind of riles up the rest of the tank crew and kind of indirectly leads to a mutiny amongst the crew. I'll give him this. It didn't seem like it took too much to push these guys to to mutiny. They, 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 they all seem uh, like a little bit disgruntled already. And it was just like, it just took one. Someone go like, hey, do you see what they're doing over there? And like, yeah, he's right. You know, it was like. Yeah. I mean, they are second class citizens. And like the first officer on this freighter is like a total tank hater. He just yeah. like hates tanks. So, you know, there's there's enough reason to push them over. It is funny. He doesn't lead the mutiny, but he certainly like indirectly pushes them to yeah. mutiny. And they do. They mutiny. Yeah. They, they take over the ship. They they arm up. They go to the bridge. They accidentally kill the captain and the first officer. Yeah, that, that was good. Just like blow him away. Very, very kind of funny, actually. And McQueen and Hawks kind of argue about what whether it's right to kill their own people, kill these in vitros. But, you know, obviously, at some point, Hawks has to make his Sophie's choice. And they're going to die if they don't do it. So Hawks is forced to, like turn off the power to the in vitro tanks and kill his sister so they can survive. And it kind of ends with them blowing up the ship and like getting to drop on it. And then Hawks goes down to the tanks and goes and visits his sister. Who is Carson and Kate? So I guess the in vitros are pre-named before they come Yeah, out? I don't know. Sure, why not, right? I mean, it, you know what it is? It's it's the same thing. <laughs> you know when you go like to adopt like a, a kitten or a puppy or something and the pet store or wherever it is, they've already na- named the animal. And you're like, yeah, I'm not going to call it. Fuzzy Wuzzy, calling it, you know, George or whatever it might be. It does lead to a good question. Who who named 
Hawks. And who gave him the name Cooper Hawks? Like, he has a first and a last name. Yeah. Couldn't well, they just be like Madonna? Just like, they just need one name. They don't need a family name. That is true. Yeah, it, yeah. You, you, are, you are absolutely right. I never thought of that. Yeah, why do they have two names? Why bother? I don't know. It's very weird. I mean, mm. Kate. Like, was her name Kate Hawks? Mm. No. You know what it probably is? I, I don't know if, we're, if, if we really need to dissect it this much, but I bet each of them have a name like like Cooper, which is called Cooper. I bet they give themselves last names. Okay. That'd be my guess. He's to big... see more more like every other human. Right. Makes I, sense. There's, there's no evidence of that. That's just my guess. He got out of his tube. They're like, you're Cooper. And he walked out, walked next door. Howard Hawks marathon going on. He's like, that's my last name. No, what it was was he had to fill out his form when he was joining the Marines and he wrote Cooper and he saw that form that said last name and he went, he just looked out the window and he saw a bird fly by and he went, Hawks. <laughs> there you go. Either way. Perfect explanation. Yep. All right. You ready for episode five? Oh, are we done? That was four. That was it. That was the whole yeah. thing. Oh, it, yeah. You're it, right. It's I, a I, very I, simple episode. I have to say it had by far the least notes I've ever written in an episode. I mean, there were other little things going on that we maybe didn't get into, but it's a pretty straightforward episode. Not that it was a bad episode it's just very straightforward yeah i agree all right let's do episode five all right great episode five ray butts <laughs> it, it, it was funny every time they said it in the episode Happy all alone, but if they hurt my heart they'd hear it cry. i was wondering if you still want us for the mission after Where's today my darling when she coming home most of the units i train eat in five minutes you all lasted 10. What do you think about in the dark? I think about the first man I ever killed. What about him? I wonder what he's doing now. And if he got the better end of the deal. Legendary Marine Flyer, Colonel Ray Butts, quote, kick butts, end quote, of Marine Special Operations Command Team, shows up and takes over command of the 58th wing of a special secret mission of redemption. That IMDb synopsis was courtesy of Anonymous. Oh, he didn't, didn't want to give his name, huh? Did not want to give his name. I, we'll say it now, and it's going to come up. I don't know why they call the character, what's his name? Ray Butts. And it's it's just funny. It's, I, I, my, now, I didn't do any research. My assumption is there's an actual man named Raymond Butts that this is sort of um, an homage to. That, that's the only thing that I can think of that would give a reason why they would name a character with such a ridiculous name. I mean, we'll get into this, but I appreciated the strong choice because I mean... Raymond T. Butts. Raymond T. Butts is his character, main character's name of this episode. And it's not even like they're skimming over it. Like the episode is called ray butts and i yeah. was just like great i don't even know what this episode is i'm on board yeah. ray butts let's do it and i'm gonna say right now this episode is great it's great <laughs> so where we open on this episode is an unknown hammerhead is approaching the saratoga they think it might be a silicate su- suicide bomber is what they call it which yeah. i thought i love that band <laughs> <laughs> wonderful yeah thanks. we'll get him into play later yeah <laughs> They, uh, yeah, so they fire a warning shot across its bow because it's not responding, but it automatically overrides their docking procedures and lands. So McQueen and a team of people go into the pod bay docking doors for the 
the hammerheads, the, I don't know, bay? It's a docking bay. Docking bay, yeah. There we go. I got there. They find uh, the unresponsive body of Lieutenant Commander Raymond T. Butts sitting in this uh, hammerhead cockpit. And McQueen thinks he's dead, so he orders them to pull the body out of the cockpit. And as they do, he gets up and he just starts beating the shit out of everybody. And they like have a great fist fight where they fall through a hole in the floor into another like layer of the ship. It's a very like fun and funny fight but sequence. He just quite easily single handedly beats up the entire team, but he also does it to a Johnny Cash song. Which, which will happen throughout the entire show. And they play, it's not even like they keep playing the same song. They play like three or four different Johnny Cash songs. They blew the budget on the music on this episode. But, and it works really well. Yeah, it's great. Uh, the fight sequence, he like, yeah, one man army's out just fist fighting the whole, ar- the whole thing. And the episode goes to kind of its title sequence with McQueen looking down at the fight happening and saying, kind of a bummer getting your butt kicked by a dead guy. Yeah, and he... They give McQueen in this episode so many great lines. This by far was the episode that was had the most funny lines, had the most memorable lines. I, I'm my hope is going forward. This is a real jumping off to the rest of the series of the kind of dialogue and stuff the show had. I I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, this kicked us off to a great start. This yeah. opening scene. So let's get a little bit into who Lieutenant Colonel Ray Butts is. He's uh, some sort of black ops specialist with like really high clearance to run kind of covert missions. At some point, he says, like, the old man approves anything I want. And he kind of has a similar war record to McQueen. Like they when they talk, they're talking about they've been to similar places. They like talk about how, how he has two silver stars in Guatemala, which they were both at. What, what's up? What did Guatemala do? I don't know. But apparently it was bad there for a while. I mean... Tech War had the Brazil War. <laughs> I thought the same thing. That's funny. I mean, it's Central America and that's South America, but I was just like, it's what is up with these shows? Like, why does everyone think there's a big war in that? They just era? they just pick because it's it's made for an American audience, so they just pick countries that people have heard of, and they're like, yeah, there, there'd be a war there. Sure, you why know? not? Yeah, they're like, hey, East Timor, real bad war there. I mean, there are there was fighting down there. I mean, there still is, I'm sure, but like, it was like communists versus dictators are they just assuming like 19 like 2045 the communists are still fighting in guatemala yeah well they got silver stars that's all i know yeah there you go ray butts also loves to drink and smoke which how do you smoke on a spaceship yeah i I don't know all they needed to do was drop some sort of line of like uh good thing we invented the uh smoke ventilator thing that allows you to smoke but i don't know it doesn't really matter that's funny i was gonna did you have you seen that movie that one of the Coppola kids made a movie where it's about a writer in Paris writing a science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. And there literally is a line in it where someone, one of the producers is like, they should be smoking. And he's like, how do you smoke in space? And they're like, ah, just write a line of dialogue. That good thing we invented the blah, blah, blah. Right, right. So that is very, when I watch that, I'm like, very much like that movie's yeah. joke. I wish I could remember the title of it, but I have no idea. And as you mentioned, he just listens to so much Johnny Cash, much like you. Yeah, I know. I went, When I started watching the episode, I thought it was funny because we had just talked about that. But uh, yeah, I, I I really liked his character. He was such a jerk. He, you know what he reminded me of? And uh, not to always talk about Next Generation. Do you remember the episode with Captain Jellico? Do you remember that? They're on some sort of hidden mission and they bring in a new captain and he doesn't get along with Riker and he tells Troy to put on a new uniform and all this stuff. He reminded me of that. Like this like 
purposely person who's coming that the audience is supposed to hate. And what I liked about that though is you really got behind the major the main characters of this show because they hated him. You're supposed to hate him, but he's kind of a fun character. Like I like spending time with him because he's I, a real jerk. I actually thought I was like Jordan would love to just sit down with this guy, make fun of West, yeah, talk about Johnny uh, Johnny Cash biographies they've read, <laughs> yeah, drink some whiskey, have a great time. Yeah, he's, I, I liked it. <laughs> and the other thing about Ray Butts, he is very evasive about what happened to his last crew. Yeah, they know they were on a secret mission by a wor- or not a wormhole, a black hole. Yeah, but no one quite knows what happens to them. But he's on the Saratoga for one reason. He is, wants the 58th to accompany him somewhere. Yeah. I guess he's heard about their sort of war record. Like, I guess there's a bit of a claim around the wild cards from the that asteroid belt attack in the pilot. It seemed a little unearned, didn't it? Like, he was like, I heard about you guys. I was like, really? I don't, I, they didn't, haven't done much yet. Well, I like that at least they're just like, we're talking about that one time you kind of like held them off while we turned the tides Uh, that made sense it wasn't like they've had a bunch of like accolades since then right they've just been on milk runs really right but that's kind of why he's there like he's read their record he thinks they might be the people for him so he kind of puts them to a couple tests the first test was very entertaining to me because uh the wild cards are hanging out in the rec room wong is watching Macbeth on tv that was so weird it was like i wrote it down what was his line oh he says, I'll tell you right now. He says, uh, oh, yeah, because he's going into battle. This could be the last time he can ever watch Shakespeare. So he wants to, like, he's watching. I had to figure out which one it was. I think it's Roman Polanski's like 70s adaptation yeah. of Macbeth, which oh, I, I always love stuff. Like, it's like, yeah, he goes, he goes, that's the last time I could have heard Shakespeare and you took it from me. And I'm like, you're watching a hundred year old video. It was just a weird thing. I, I think they still don't know what to do with Wong. So they just keep giving him, like, weird scenes where he's always interested in and various entertainments i think in the future everyone's just super classy they quote they recite poetry they only watch shakespeare but yeah it's very funny because he's watching it and hawks like a little brother is kind of on his shoulder like his eyes are super wide he's like blown away by this movie he's watching and like a sword fight happens in it and i guess the military censors violence on tv and like this like censorship thing comes up and wong's all upset and but thankfully, Hawks is a real bad boy. So he pops out the, what do they call it? The V-chip. And they start like watching the not particularly violent sword yeah. fight. At which point, Butts walks into the room. And he's like, I saw what you did there. And he flips off the TV. Wong is incensed because he can't not watch his Shakespeare. And he basically, Butts challenges the entire squad to a fist fight. Is, is the gist mm-hmm. of it. And there's like... Kind of like a real bar brawl. Like everyone gets up and gets in it, tries to get him. And he's like easily beating up every member of the 58th. Although, did you catch this? There's a great moment in the middle of this fist fight where West runs up to join the fight. And Butts vaguely spins Hawks around. And West just punches Hawks right in the face. I did see that, yeah. I was like, man, West, even when you try, you fail. It was a real like Three Stooges sort of moment. They just, it, one of them should just had a pie in the hand and hit the other guy, you know, hit the wrong guy. And then they're, you know, take the fingers, wipe the pie out and shake it on the ground. Like, Whoa. it was, it was a very fun little fight, yeah. but it was a very but silly. But he just, he just beats the hell out of them again. Yeah. And he's doing this. He tells McQueen because he was testing to see how their camaraderie was, their camaraderie, to see if they'd stand up for each other. 
He then kind of puts them to another test, which is great because you come back from a commercial break and there's like ominous music and the wild cards are stalking the hallways of the ship with guns. And uh, we see Damp House like easing through a doorway, seeing a shaking space suit. And he, she thinks someone's in there. And as she steps in, she gets shot in the back by butts. And I guess they're on a paintball mission because she gets yeah. like splat in the back of paint. And as, as Marines always train yeah. with, with paintball. They're doing a fun little paintball hunt on the ship. Uh, next, we kind of see Hawks thinks he's got a beat on butt, so he chases him down a hallway, and uh, a door opens, and Hawks shoots a sh- cook carrying the tray of potatoes in the chest. And what I loved is, have we ever seen that there's cooks on board? There's no. like There's chefs. I was like, it was, and he was like, he was like a guy. I, I, in my memory, he was like just like uh, like a French stereotype carrying like baguettes, like ooh. But it was like what. What is this guy? I've never seen this guy before. I, I assumed they were all, they had not like a hologram, but they've talked about that they had like water and stuff and packs and everything. I assumed it was all just the ship had been packed and ready for whatever flight they were going on and they didn't need to have someone who's actually preparing meals. No, there's a whole mess full of cooks, apparently. Apparently. Yeah. Hawk shoots this poor cook in the chest and then he immediately gets taken out by butts of the paintball. We see again Vanton and Wong working together before butts gets a drop on them and shoots them both Mm. although uh, very funny why are those the only two people who chose to work together it was a sad display so what i thought is either he's really great or they really suck i thought this was a bad display like they're not working as a team at all like the only two who are working together are those two very weird but it all closes off with west in the hangar bay searching for butts and one of the pods rises out of the uh, floor of the hangar bay with butts riding it like he's in Dr. Strangelove or something. And he shoots West right between the eyes. Yeah, it's great. Right right in the face. Very fun. Just a big paintball right on his forehead. He deserved it. It is true. They're, they're having a lot of fun at West's expense on this show these days. Which is winning him over. He's an underdog. I'm yeah. liking him more. Whatever this test tells butts he now knows he's ready to take the 58th out on their secret mission so they load up on a crew transport and kind of ship off vanson's a little worried because butts is a little erratic that this might be some sort of suicide mission there's a weird thing with her vanson and uh butts where she's really trying to like get into his head and like psychoanalyze him and at one point they're having like she comes up and she has a having a conversation with him and she says out of the blue what do you think about in the dark and i was like who asks that to someone else? And he and he had I can't remember what his answer is, but later on he was just like uh, he just was like, "What do I care? I'm already dead." And I was like, "Wow, you're very emo there, butts." But what you what basically what they're always showing is that he's got he's maybe got like a screw loose. He's at least very in a dark place, and uh, uh, she's trying to mother him for whatever reason. I don't know why. I don't know. Yeah, she she wants to get in his head. That's for sure. She wants to know how someone gets so mean. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. She's like, how did someone get so mean? It's like, I don't know. That's mean people. I don't know. What do you want to say? Some people are mean. <laughs> As they're shipping out here, like, did you notice this? Or, I don't know, maybe this is just what it is now. But he wants to go off with the 58th on this mission. When they leave, there are only the five characters. I think the 58th, the wild cards, there are only five people now. Yeah, well, after they all got wiped out after that, what was that thing they were protecting that, like, space dust what were they doing in that one episode where they all got killed the uranium on the no or helium the helium on the mine yeah so that's there's i guess there's no none well, lost. and that chubby guy oh yeah that's right uh what was his name hold on i got it written down monk fan favorite monk yeah 
When we recast this, we're going to recast Monk for sure. Anyone got a pie? <laughs> Bang. <laughs> Done. He'll be in our recast. And, and this is about, the I think, the first time that he says his famous line, like, as easy as eating pancakes. Because Butts keeps talking about pancakes this whole episode. Have we mentioned that? I missed this entirely. We'll get into this later, I guess. But somehow, I didn't clock. He was constantly talking about pancakes. I don't know how, because it's a big part of this episode. He, but it, that, that is actually weird, because he mentions pancakes almost every third line. He says something about pancakes. I don't know how I missed it. I was going to ask you. I'm like, what is the deal with pancakes, Jordan? Because I don't understand. It's just something he says. Oh, did you, you actually don't know? No, I didn't. Me- I didn't notice it. Oh, so, I mean, well, we can get to the end of the episode, but he keeps talking about, he just like, first he just keeps saying like, I say he's eating pancakes, I could go for a pancake, but, and what you find out is. Oh, we can get to the end bit later, but I okay. just didn't understand he said pancakes all the time. Yeah. Like, I didn't hear him say that. Oh, anyways, he does a lot. That's very Like, funny. almost nonstop. That's very funny. As their ship arrives at this, uh, very cool, actually, a big ringed planet. With like yellow skies, and there's a great shot where they're kind of showing the ring on its side, cutting over the ship. It's, yeah, uh, the, the planet it didn't quite like it hasn't quite aged well. The special effects, but I liked how they really tried to make it look like a different planet. You're right, like it has this very vibrant yellow sky that really you can almost not see any detail, and it's like a really rocky planet. I was like, yeah, look, great, you're on an asteroid or wherever they were. Yeah, it's shots from space looked it too. I thought they pulled off those planet stuff pretty good. Some of the CG doesn't work, but when it does work, it works really well. But Butts tells them basically what the mission is. They're on Operation Get Rhythm. Yeah, that's right. Johnny Cash song. And the purpose of it is, is they're going to go down into enemy territory of this planet and recover some hammerheads. So to do that, they're going to parachute down. And not just any parachute. They're doing a halo jump. And, and they're all worried because apparently this is a bigger jump than they've ever done. And uh, he just and he actually makes a pretty uh, good, a good, good a response. Good He's just like, it's just going to take longer. Yeah, he's like, I got it written down here. He's like, it's the same as a regular jump. You just wait longer. Yeah. It's very good. A very good line. They do this jump out of the carrier. They get down. Wong was very freaked out during this jump. Yeah, and he has a very funny line, actually, when they finally get down to the planet. Did you write it down what he wrote, what he said? Uh, Yeah, I got it here, but you want to do it? Yeah. They finally landed, and uh, Wes is like, says something to him, like, like what's wrong? And, uh, and uh, Wong looks up. Wong looks up and goes... I'm waiting for my testicles. They should be dropping any second. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's funny. It was a funny line. It made me laugh. Yeah, it was great. It was great for Wong to have a good one-liner. And and again, I say, West wasn't annoying in this episode. Did you find it? No, he it was, it was not that bad. No. It's it's definitely easing on me. So they landed me on this planet. I'm going to ask you something. And I meant to bring this up in previous episodes, but I think I've kind of just left it alone. But did you notice they land on that planet? They've just literally parachuted and landed. Everybody's faiths is covered in dirt. They're just filthy. What I assumed was they had put on some sort of like camouflage makeup. That's what I thought it was. I guess, but the, it's like white sand and their faces are like covered in black dirt. I don't understand. Maybe I think it's it was a camouflage. thing. Maybe it's a military thing. I just keep, every time they leave their ship, all I see is these actors just filthy faces. I'm like, well, how remember, do they keep getting so dirty? Do you know, remember that sign where they all, they had that whoopie pie eating contest right before they went down? Oh, right. Who could forget? Yeah. So that might, that might have something to do with it. Anyway, it's not important. I just keep noticing everyone looks filthy. Well, they're, they're all, the only thing they have to wash water is like, is recycled sweat. On the ground of the planet, uh, butts starts acting a little screwy here. Like he tells them the mission is changing, even though he just told them the mission two seconds ago. And he kind of orders them to go, like, stash the chutes they came down in. And when they come back, he's like, 
just disappeared. Yeah. It's a very, he's really changed on a dime here. The wild cards kind of don't know what to do. So they start sort of tr- tracking. I guess they have tracking skills. They're like following bent grass and stuff and mm-hmm. trying to figure out where he is. And when they finally find him, he's digging a big hole. And like there's a body of another Marine there who's missing its eyes and its heart. And yeah. he's, he's burying this Marine. And Butts sees they're there and he really flips out. And we kind of get a flashback as to kind of like what happened on this planet originally. They sort of like confront him and he eventually tells them what happened. Right. And like in this flashback, he kind of talks about how he brought his troops down on this mission and they were going to go on foot to do something to the Chigs. But for whatever reason, I guess his squad didn't want to do it. So they refused to go and Butts went off on his own. Yeah. What what I think he implied was he wanted to do something that was a little bit dangerous. They didn't want to do it. And he was like, screw you guys. I'm going to go. He goes off, does the little mission. They wait. When he comes back, they'd all been attacked. And so here's what, what I didn't understand. And maybe you can explain this. So what what basically you find out about Butts is he has this weighing remorse on him because he left his team and they get slaughtered because – and his his feeling is he left. But here's here's my, my question. One, I don't know how, how him leaving has any effect. If they all just waited there, they still would have got slaughtered. So I don't know why him leaving had any effect. And two – he came back and watched apparently the massacre happen, but was somehow the only one to survive? Well, I mean, I had the same question. I'm just like, didn't they disobey an order by A, not going with him? So A, that's on them for staying. But yeah, he came back. I mean, I guess I get it. Like he showed up. He said it was like in the mad minute. Like he basically showed up as they were like at the end of the slaughter. And it sort of so he saw his people die. And there's nothing he could do about it. But yeah, it's it's messed him up somehow but he has some sort of post-traumatic stress it doesn't really maybe that's what it is maybe it's post-traumatic because i never quite got like i'm like i'm like i don't know why you're quite this upset about it but maybe that's what it is it's post-traumatic stress so he's basically this mission is not just to recover their ships but he wants to give them a proper burial because he feels guilt having left them behind uh fun side note though why was that man missing his eyes and heart, Jordan? I know that they mentioned it was something we learned about Chigs that for some reason Chigs take eyeballs and hearts when they kill people, right? Which we've never seen or heard of before. But did they say why they did it? No, they didn't say why specifically they would take the heart and the eyeballs. But he did mention that the Chigs are scared of their dead, but they're even more freaked out by the human dead. Right, which it does explain now why in that one episode they wouldn't go by that cave with the dead body. Yeah, I mean, that's what they said, and we weren't sure if that was just a writing thing just to get around something. But they're really leaning heavily into the idea that they are afraid of not just their own dead bodies, but the dead bodies of everything. Yeah, you know what they're not afraid of, though? Uh, Paying with poop. (laughs) Remember that? I I remember your theory on the economic practices (laughs) of the Chigs. (laughs) Yeah, that's what it was. Poop. I know you're working on that thesis right now. Yeah, I'm like 50 pages in. I'm sure your PhD on chick poop currency will be uh, groundbreaking <laughs> when it comes out. Anyway, Butts leads a eulogy for his dead man. And in the eulogy, he sort of talks about one of the guys who is in his squad, I guess, who didn't want to die this way. Like the guy had this preference as to how he wanted to die, which was he wanted to be flying into a black hole while listening to Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. Do... Uh, there's a long reasoning. Butts kind of gave his reasoning behind it and also actually revealed here that he doesn't really care for Johnny Cash. He's Yeah. It's been part of his mourning process to like listen to Johnny Cash, I guess, in honor of this man. 
do you remember what um, Butt said that science types say happens when you go into a black hole? I know vaguely. What was it that he said? I mean, I guess the idea of the way this guy wanted to do it was because science types say you're pulled in all directions by the black hole and at times slows to the point where the last decade would extend for seemingly ever. Like they're just talking about relativity, I guess. I think that's relativity anyway. And that this guy wanted to do that because he felt like he would never die in that moment where he was sort of like living forever in that last second. Well, he's never going to experience death as well. Yeah, yeah. And so this is sort of part of the eulogy. And since they're near a black hole, a, a foreshadowing of things to come. Yeah. So one one other thing I, I should mention, right when they land to the planet, Butts is very uh, concerned about that they have to be really careful and quiet and thing because there could be chigs anywhere all over the place. But then they take like, I don't know how many hours to bury people and have a funeral. They didn't worry about the noise then. Just yeah. Saying. I, I was also like, you're not that far behind NPL lines. There's not that like, yeah. I guess it's a planet. It's huge. So anyway, they go off and they find all the planes. Yeah, they ships. get all the hammerheads back. Yeah. So they find that they're operational and they basically want to take them back to bring back to the uh, Saratoga, I guess. Yeah, that, that's um, the mission. And mission. But what they find is, you know, maybe you can explain this better than I can. They have to, for some reason, fly right beside a black hole and something else i can't remember what it is but they basically are in a rock and a hard place they have to go between this these two things and make sure not to go too close to the black hole isn't that what they for whatever reason they have to fly that way because of the chigs more or less uh, like as they get to the hammerheads butts kind of lays out what happens to get back to saratoga they kind of have to go around a black hole and there is a safety zone like they can't get within a certain distance of the black hole or they'll just be pulled into its gravitational pull and he kind of warns them because there's going to be a lot of chigs chasing them, that the chigs have a special kind of um, ship that he calls the Red Bandits. Right, right. And a Red Bandit apparently doesn't worry as much about a black hole. Like it can, He says it skips across the wake of a black hole. And what it would be able to do theoretically is cut around the black hole to get ahead of them, cutting them off and I guess allowing them to get caught between two waves of chigs. Is is basically what Butts' warning is before they sort of fly off. Side note, does it not feel like the humans have learned a whole lot about the Chigs in the few, I guess, weeks to months that they've been fighting them? Like, they've learned a tremendous amount about different ships and different fighting techniques and all this sort of stuff. Like, a lot. Yeah, the other branches of the military are really in high gear apparently on fact finding because it's not happening for the 58 they rarely see chigs you never see any chigs but suddenly they're like oh and they do this i'm like when did you guys learn that well i guess we don't see everything that's true we just see what the wild cards see yeah (laughs) but yeah like he basically explains what could happen and like as soon as they get up there they get in a quick firefight with a bunch of chigs which they easily destroy and they're they're flying around the black hole and they look out to their side and they see these two red bandits skipping across the wake of the black hole is going to cut them off and of course butts has no choice but he has to save them all by flying into the gravitational pull to destroy those two mm. red bandits the one thing i didn't fully understand was we literally just saw them blow up a whole bunch of chigs and he flies in there and destroys those two red bandits really easily and i was i was at this point i was just like i'm not sure that like it's really set up like if he doesn't go in there and stop them, they'll never get past those two ships later. Right. But they seem like they're very confident. and Like they've just blown up like seven chigs. There's just two more. Yeah, it was weird because 
what what it made it seem like originally is that he was essentially going on a suicide mission by himself but then it was like oh no he's trying to get back but he can't anymore but it's like well why did he even have to go down there because yeah you're right they could have just blow these two other ships out yeah the implication was if they got ahead of them they'd never be able to defeat them i guess and maybe they're just like super well armed but like yeah he he goes in there he basically is like i'm gonna destroy them and then i'm gonna try to get back i think it was kind of a suicide mission i think he never really thought he would be able to i think he just was gonna but like one point he's just like i'm out of fuel yeah well he tried he tried to like put enough gas down to get out of the black holes pull this episode also had a lot of a lot of shots of people just flipping switches when things weren't going right in their ship i i just like that thought of like that something's not going right and you're like just flip switches flip them oh they're they're red now they're green why don't we just have them green before we wouldn't have the problem uh my ship's not working flip them to green <laughs> oh, okay solve problem every green's good yeah green's good <laughs> butts gets pulled toward the black hole and it goes on and on he flips on the johnny cash to like as he said, this friend of his wanted to die this way, so he's going to do it himself. And he gets pulled in, and like they sort of visualize what it's like to get pulled into a black hole. Can you can you describe that, Jordan? They do a couple things. One, they sort of like slow down time, and he looks like he's kind of like stretching, and there's kind of colors and stuff. And then it goes through a whole bunch of like like time kind of slows down. You can hear the song get really slow. And then it looks like almost like it's going to like a warp drive, but it starts breaking apart like a bunch of pieces of paper spreading out. Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah, it's a pretty good description of what happens. Yeah. It's a lot of like in-camera tricks of yeah. like on his face, like stretching and doing stuff. And it then, takes yeah, a long time. Like a CG section where the ship falls apart. And uh, as I said in the first pilot episode, that moment is the only thing I remember about the series. Is that right? Is I didn't even remember butts. I just remembered someone getting pulled into a black hole. Hmm. And that was the scene I remembered. And that's the end of butts. And now, like, the team's all really, like, you know, yeah, mournful, they're, and they're all sad. I'm like, you guys hated him the whole time. They're pretty sullen when they get back to the Saratoga. McQueen's knows they're sad, and he tells them, I've prepared you, or I've had the kitchen prepare you, a special dinner for your return. And when they get there, it's a buffet table laid out, and the cooks take off the hot, the lid off the hot plate, and it's a stack of pancakes. Because he never stopped mentioning pancakes. Which I didn't catch the entire right. episode, so I was a little confused. I was like, and, then, and so then all of them, you know, they're all very, uh, uh, as you said, they're all kind of somber and sad. And uh, I think it's West who first does it. He takes the pancakes and then he goes over to the... He piles um, them on his plate. Which, yeah, he piles them on his plate and then he goes over to what looks like a urinal. Um, it's a trash can. It's a trash can, apparently. And he just tosses the pancakes in. And then they all start doing that as like a symbolic gesture to old Well, the butts. trash can opens directly into space yeah which i like and it opens uh, there seems to be some issues there but but yes it opens directly in space and then you see which did not age well these cgi pancakes floating into space i would argue that's the best cgi the show's ever done are you really oh i, I, think, I thought it looked funny. i think it's the most lovingly you can't tell me that is worse than the ship getting pulled into the black hole the pancakes looked a hundred times better here's the thing though you have more creative liberty with what a ship would look like getting broken up into a black hole but what a pancake looks like just floating around without any gravity i think you have an idea and these look like they have like sharp edges and stuff i disagree i think this is the best effects they've done in the entire series Hmm. i love that pancake much like much like the abortion debate between you and i we're never going to agree on these cgi pancakes (laughs) save it for the political podcast (laughs) we're doing that next right versus left jordan versus left (laughs) um pancakes versus waffles Ooh, but yeah you kind of have a fun shot of pancakes flowing into space but i have a question for you yeah because 
they walk in, they load these pancakes on a plate. They solemnly, it's a surprise. They solemnly walk over and push them into space as an honor to butts. What are these three cooks who are just standing at the table watching these guys walk in? They've made a special dinner for them at McQueen's command. These guys walk up, take a plate full of pancakes, and they just walk over to the trash can and just toss them all in the garbage. I know. I thought the same thing. It was funny. I know. You'd just be like, guys, I just, I just made this. We don't even, we, you know how hard it is to get eggs in space? I was asked to do this special for you. You're throwing them in the garbage. Also, I think this is our second time we've seen a, what I guess we'll call it, pancakes or dessert. We call them dessert or like a breakfast, a breakfast dessert food. Anyways, but this is the second time we've seen that in a show where people are eating them. Remember, what was it? Was it Quester? What movie was it where suddenly just started eating uh, pancakes? Oh, I don't remember. Was it was it Harsh Realm? What was it? Remember suddenly they just cut to a scene and everyone's eating pancakes? Oh, it was Harsh Realm. It was the pilot of Harsh Realm when he goes to the military dinner and you're upset everyone's eating pancakes <laughs> yeah. at the dinner. Yeah. Well, you know why? Because they were uh, memorializing uh, butts. I guess that's maybe it's a military thing. They love pancakes. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But that's it. That's the episode. And I, I agree with you. This was a great episode. Yeah. Certainly. I actually had a really good time watching this episode. And, and I was worried because I watched it late because i whatever work and stuff and i couldn't get to i wasn't as ahead of the schedule and i had a really i really enjoyed watching it like late at night i mean i i think the compared to two and three those like weren't great for me but then the hawks episode was a bit better even though it was again we're just kind of learning about one character but this one you're right i'm hoping this is kind of like that was their lead up they took they needed three steps to get like up to running speed and then like with ray butts yeah, I kind, off. I kind of wish that I had given lower scores earlier on, at least a little bit, to kind of show how much has gotten better. But man, you can't go back. You can't go into a black hole and just stretch time out forever, you know? Yeah, you can. Said so in this episode. <laughs> All right, what do you want to give Mutiny? I actually quite like this episode. I thought it was a little bit slow, um, but I, and, and maybe not all the elements did quite gel. But I, I actually did like the episode, and I'll give it a 7. I'm going to give it a 7, too. I thought it was going to be... A little weaker on it, kind of like the backstory episode for Vanson. But it worked better. It felt like more like a standalone episode that kind of worked. And even though we got backstory, it was an episode. So yeah. I'm going to give it a 7 too. Great. And then Ray Butts. I'm going to give it my highest score ever of an 8. 8 out of 10. 100% agree. 8 for me as well. This is, It's never happened. We've yeah. never had the exact same score. We've never we've never agreed this way before. Yeah. No, but this was perhaps Raymond T. Butts was perhaps the best episode of any television show slash TV movie or anything we've watched to this point. I Absolutely. Would say yeah. Absolutely. In what, 21 episodes? This yeah. was unquestionably the best. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that uh, things are going to get better. And also, there's a, it's a little bit of a bittersweet thing because this show got canceled. And if it does get better, what a shame that a show that can do episodes like this. Like, this was just a real fun, classic science fiction episode. And... It's kind of bummer that the show never went on. I mean, who knows? Maybe the next episodes are going to be real. Stickers. Yeah, I mean, maybe it slips up. But I, this was certainly like a good sign of things to come. I mean, considering it's the only thing I remember of the show from my childhood was this episode. I'm like, it obviously like had staying power with me. Right. Yeah, this about wraps it up, though. If you want to talk to us about uh, Raybots or uh, Jordan's theories on Chig Poo currency. Oh, please. I want someone to email me about it. I got lots of thoughts. Jordan will write to you all day long. It'll be a lifelong correspondence. Yeah. The 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 different consistencies and textures and thickness, you know. They have monetary value? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I get it. I yeah. get it. <laughs> Can I de- derail it anymore? That really derails it. 
Uh, I don't remember where I was, but I think I was going to say you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at continuumdrag. I know for sure we're going to have some video or gifs of uh, getting pulled into a black hole and what floating pancakes look like because I've already got those ready to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there'll probably be some other good stuff going up. And Jordan does a great job updating those. So please check them out. And until next time, Jordan, drive on. Yeah, uh, something about pancakes. Great. Let's go (laughs) eat some. Yeah, let's go eat some pancakes. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. All right. See you later, Jordan. Bye. Continuum Drag is recorded at Astrolab Studios in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Ruxiedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Emily Carter, and Dwayne Wright.